Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. very excited to be with you this morning. Um, I am hoping my voice continues to hold out throughout the whole um, sermon here. Um, I have a backup Ricola and water, so we should be good. Um, it's good to start this journey with you all. It feels, um, in a way, like coming home in a way that um, no other ministry transition has ever felt like before. And so I'm excited and grateful and really hopeful about this journey that we're starting together. Um, I'm excited because... Um, this Sunday is Epiphany. Um, I'll talk a little bit about what that's about, but <clears throat> the last time that I started at a new church in Johnston County as their pastor, um, I started on um, Palm Sunday. And um, the, the symbolism of Palm Sunday wasn't lost on me in the moment. Um, you know, Jesus rides in to great praise only to be crucified at the end of the, um, end of the week. Um, and, and that pastorate went a little bit like that. Um, and so, so I'm really, I have this, this thing about apparently starting at new churches on um, special Sundays. And if I had to pick between Epiphany and Palm Sunday, I would pick this Sunday. So I think we are off to a great start. Uh, we're off to a great start. Um, Epiphany is uh, more traditional churches than, than ours that meet in a gym uh, to, to follow a liturgical calendar or a lectionary. So they're, um, they set up uh, the church year around certain scriptures. Um, it's a three-year cycle of scriptures and special Sundays uh, that, that celebrate different special moments in the life of Christ, uh, in the life of the church. And one of the things that, that, that I love about following a liturgical calendar or the lectionary is that it means that our little community here that's sitting in folding chairs, meeting in a gym, is studying and, and preaching and singing on the same scriptures that our Christian brothers and sisters are studying and singing about all around the world. So we want, I, I want to let you know, uh, you may have been a part of a church that's used that. You guys may have used it here before. Sometimes a pastor will follow that calendar and, and not tell the community that they're, you know, we're following this kind of calendar where the, the verses are set out for us. I, I want to tell you that we're doing that because I like to know when I'm going to be a part of a worship service that there's been some intentional thought and planning to it. What that allows us to do is, um, the, the idea behind the, the lectionary or the liturgical calendar is that it helps us to focus on different seasons in the life of the church. This season of Epiphany that we start today, today is Epiphany Sunday, but we're entering into a season that'll take us right into Lent um, in March. But these uh, scriptures focus on the miracles of Jesus. It allows us to, to step into the wonder of the scriptures and the life of Jesus and, and to see ourselves in, um, in those creative, miraculous kinds of moments. And what do they mean for us today? And so we're going to get to step into that. In fact, uh, last week when I was doing some sermon planning ahead of time, I was emailing Michael and Caitlin and say, I'm like, 
this is such a great way to start a new season of life in the church, to be focusing on the wonder, to be focusing on the, the miraculous, to be able to, to just kind of glory in those, those holy kind of God moments where uh, we see God breaking through in the life of Jesus and, and the way that God used the people um, that we find in scriptures to do miraculous things and, and to dream the big dreams of what could be possible here. And so it's an exciting season to start a new year for us personally, but as a church, it's also an exciting season to, to start a new phase of the life of, of this church and its journey. Um, it also allows us to access a lot of different resources um, for worship planning, for discipleship. It also allows you to access uh, different resources on scriptures. Um, one of these is a, a website that I want to let you know about. So if you're looking for something to kind of take what we're doing in worship and, and infiltrate it into your life, infiltrate, that doesn't sound like a happy word, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Um, this is a website um, that you really cannot see, but it's Sacred for Ordinary Days. And, um, and they have, this website has a list of podcasts, uh, Spotify playlists, scriptures, blogs, all kinds of things that, that you can access if you want to just explore what epiphany means and what this season in the life of the church means. I will, I will tell you, they do have products that they sell, like they sell a planner, but, but you don't have to buy the planner to be able to access their, uh, their resources. All this week, as I've been um, trying to find quiet moments in my day, they have a uh, a lovely playlist on Spotify that's just different music that's kind of about this season of wonder and vision and newness. Um, some of the songs that we tend to think of as Christmas songs, but then other songs that just help us to explore our imagination with God um, in different ways. And so I would just make you aware of that resource. And, and if, if you're looking for other things, there's, there's more out there that, that I can help you connect to. So wanted to start off by mentioning that. Um, Epiphany is what we call a feast day, uh, which really just means a special day of celebration and worship, where we celebrate the coming of the Magi to Jesus, to visit Jesus. Um, my church in Richmond, Tabernacle Baptist, does a beautiful job of celebrating Epiphany, and, and we're going to use some of their traditions later in worship. I'll explain that, but on their Facebook page this week, uh, they worded it so well to introduce people to what Epiphany is that I just thought, well, I'll just copy and paste that. Um, they said, Epiphany immediately follows Christmas and its recollection of the birth of Jesus. The biblical basis for Epiphany is in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, which we'll read in just a minute. It's a story of the visit of scholars from a distant land to honor a child who would be important to the whole human race. Epiphany is a time for expanding the vision of Christian people. Stories of Jesus in the gospel are emphasized during this season as we grow to see Jesus more clearly. It is like a light growing ever brighter. And so that's what this season is about for us. It's a light growing ever brighter. We're going to wander through some passages over the coming weeks that will expand, hopefully, our wonder of God and, and call us to see ourselves as miracles of God in a different kind of way. Um, as I mentioned, Epiphany is the celebration of the Magi coming to visit Jesus. And 
so I follow, you know, my Facebook feed is probably a little bit different than some of yours anyway, because uh, I've got a lot of theological and biblical historical types that I follow and that I'm friends with. And uh, they're, they're real sticklers when it comes to the season of Advent, that you don't put baby Jesus into the nativity until Christmas. Um, the magi, the wise men, don't come into the nativity until Epiphany. Um, there's also um, a page uh, on Facebook where somebody has taken some liberty, had a little fun, with some Lego versions, if you can see them, of the wise men and their camel that they've called, I think it's Balthazar. Um, and so these, these Lego magi are journeying through their house as they make their way to the nativity scene. So it's a story of like adventures of things that they encounter. So uh, Christmas morning on the 25th, clearly a great battle has been waged, but who had won? On day 17, despite many earnest heel clicks, the beautiful slippers remained frustratingly inert. Uh, sadly, the pieces did not form a map, but rather the image of a luminous unicorn, which while certainly expiring, did little to aid their journey. Oh, it's Hezekiah, excuse me. Hezekiah is the name of the camel. Hezekiah voiced reservations about following the conveniently illuminated shortcut, but his pleas fell on deaf ears. Next day, as usual, the camel was right. I don't know if you can see it well, but there's like toy dinosaurs that are like chasing them out of the closet. <laughs> Mortified by the oversight, the wise men quickly amended the songbook, and so they've written a new verse for the song, We Three Kings. And then this was, um, I did not, uh, this is last year's Epiphany Sunday, where they included um, the scripture, and they show the picture of the wise men actually visiting the nativity. In my searches for the wandering wise men, if you want to follow them, they do this every year. They have new pictures of as they journey through their house to the nativity scene. Um, I found some others that were just funny. Uh, one of my, uh, for our fellow Campbell friends, um, Somebody posted this one. Uh, it has nothing to do with the Magi, but if you can see, the camel is saying, hey, Mary, 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 what day is it? Uh, this was posted on Wednesday this week. Um, uh, and then Mary is telling the camel to shut up. <laughs> Not a kind word, kids. Don't use that. But um, I just thought that was funny. And then... Uh, I put this one in for my brother-in-law, who is uh, not here. I'll have to share it with him. Highway to the manger zone. Again, not at all spiritual, but I just thought it was funny. So who were these visitors to Jesus? As one commentary that I read this week said, having sat through enough Christmas pageants, it may be hard to banish the image of graying dads pressed into service, wearing bathrobes and Burger King crowns, trying to appear wise and regal as possible. But, but the magis of Matthew's narrative would have been exotic novelties to backwater Bethlehem. It's believed that, that these were Zoroastrian priests from the area near Persia. Zoroastrianism is the oldest re religion that's still actually practiced today. Some say that they believe that everything in creation was intentionally placed where it was by their God. And so by studying creation, they could learn about their God and the world. And that's why they were studying the stars. They were also known for their ability to interpret dreams. 
We're going to actually go to the scripture now, be a little more spiritual about this. Uh, we have the story of the visit of the wise men or the magi. Uh, they probably earned the, the title mad, wise men because they were educated in a time where a lot of people were not. They were... <clears throat> excuse me, they were educated about the world uh, and creation and uh, some of uh, basic science. So the visit of the wise men, uh, this is um, uh, Matthew, um, I'm sorry I didn't put that up there, uh, Matthew um, chapter 2 verse 1. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born the king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they'd heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Their inclusion, the story that includes these magi, and the birth of Jesus is important because they were not Jews. They were not the religious leaders of the day. They weren't people of power from this area where Jesus is born or where he grew up. Their inclusion in this story tells us that, that what's happening here in Bethlehem is not just for the Jews. It's not just for the people of this region. It's not just for those that up to this point were known as God's chosen ones. This, what's happening, is bigger than all of that. Most believe that, that while they were considered suspect in the Jewish community because they studied the stars, these priests would have been well educated and probably because of their ability to interpret dreams and their understanding of the world, they were well connected with uh, those in power from where they came from. They had access to financial resources and other resources. This wouldn't have just been three guys showing up. At this point, you probably know that we don't know, as you see, that there were three magi that came. We know that there were three gifts that were given, and so that's why we've always had about, you know, the th we three kings and that kind of thing. But it wouldn't have just been the magi. They would have shown up with a whole entourage of people. They would have come upon this town, and like it said, this, this would have been a novelty for this small town of Bethlehem. 
We think that by this time, Jesus is somewhere uh, maybe closer to two years old and not just a newborn uh, because Herod asks them exactly what time the star appeared. And then we have the tragic telling of of what happens after this, that Herod then goes and uh, orders all of the children two years and younger to be killed when he realizes that he's not going to be able to find him. So these, this entourage is basically showing up to worship a toddler. A toddler. In this story, we have the chance to see how different people reacted to Jesus and, and an opportunity to learn from them. First, we've already talked about that. First, we've learned about Herod. Herod is a player in this story. The star could only lead the Magi so far. It's kind of like when when a GPS takes you to a certain building or a a shopping center, but then you have to figure out where you're going. So they've been following the star to this general region. Herod, at this time, he was known to be a very paranoid leader. That's why it says when Herod was afraid, all of the people were afraid because you wanted to keep him happy. He'd had ten wives, he'd ordered multiple assassinations, including assassinations of some of his own sons. He had changed succession plans multiple times as he decided who would take his throne when he died. And here are powerful people from another country that are showing up into his land. And he, he hears word of them. He would, have, he would have heard about them arriving even before he hears what they're arriving looking for. I would imagine that he expected them to be asking him for some information. Come to learn from the great King Herod. An opportunity to show his power, his wealth, his intelligence. Because that's just the kind of person that we see in history that Herod was. But instead of that, they come asking about another king. So it's even more of a blow. Not only are they not coming to to pay homage to Herod, but they're coming wanting to worship another king that's been born. Herod chooses to be paranoid. He's part of a family line that had converted to Judaism. He knows the stories of, of some kind of Messiah that's to come. But he also knows that he can't be what they're looking for. He knows someone else is what they're looking for because he wasn't in the line of King of David. And so all of his work, all of that killing of his own family members, his manipulating the heirs, it's all for nothing now. He turns on the charm and what feels like a line from like a Disney or Nickelodeon's kids show to me, like, who would fall for that? Oh, well, I want to worship the baby too. Come back and tell me where he is so that I can go and pay homage to him. Herod knew the prophecies. He knew the weight of the words from these magi, and they weren't lost on him. He chose to respond in fear in fear that he was going to lose his power. He gets angry. He's carefully crafted his world, and his power, he does not want to give it up. He does everything he can to keep his power. Whoever gets in his way, he takes them down. And now, there's someone new to take down. That's his response. He puts a glossy veneer on his response that he wants to worship the king. His response to the miracle of Jesus' birth is, is to do everything in his power to hold on tight to his world, as it is, to hold on to his power. 
of wonder how we are like Herod this morning. What are we trying so hard to protect? What do we not want to surrender to God? I feel like more than I've ever felt before in my lifetime, there's, there's a battle between the haves and the have-nots in our world today. Those who have position and power and those that do not. There's a clamoring for power and position, and, and I am personally challenged to listen to the people who are further out on the margins than I am. I have the choice to close my ears, to focus on what I feel I'm owed and what I deserve. I have the choice to, to not listen to the stories of those that are further out on the margins of our culture, to not believe them, because to listen and respond, to level the playing field, requires that I give up some of my privilege and my power. Jesus coming into the world was not to give us a position of power and a place to look down on other people that didn't have what we've got, but to step into the pain of the world, to shed light on privilege, to show that this gospel, this savior was for the whole world, to turn upside down our notions of power. But it's our choice. Will we respond like Herod? The religious leaders of the day, the chief priests, are consulted because they would know exactly where to find this new baby because they knew all the prophecies. Following this star, again, could only take the Magi so far. And so Herod begins to reach out to the chief priests to be able to find exactly where the baby is supposed to be born. And we read their response. They, they give uh, the prophecies from the Old Testament, or what we have as the Old Testament. Um, and then that's it. They've been studying this their whole lives. And these star watchers from another country come to say that they believe this prophecy that they have been waiting for has been fulfilled right in front of them. And they are not curious enough, aren't interested enough to even go and just see if this could be true. Maybe they had preconceived notions of, of what it would look like. And, and it didn't include these magi from afar. Maybe they had gotten to a place of power in their current world. They were comfortable. And they were no longer interested in really seeing what this Messiah thing was all about. Maybe the Messiah they knew had been found so long in their texts that they couldn't see him in the flesh. They didn't have the imagination to see God at work in the world anymore. They had, that had been the role of the original priests to continue to help interpret scripture for, for new generations. The world as it changed, but somewhere along the way, those words that they were studying had become that. Words, not, not ways to live their lives. Stagnant rules to follow and not living and breathing and continuing to grow as God continued to work in the world. We can lose the imagination and wonder to see God at work in the world today. It may be that we expect God to keep working in the ways that we've always seen God work. Maybe our understanding of what this gospel is all about has become so static. Something we feel like we, we've got a good handle on already. That we don't have the creativity and wonder to see how God continues to move. 
One thing we see from scripture, one thing we see from the the story of the birth of Jesus and the visit of the Magi, is that God doesn't move in the ways we always anticipate. The movement of God is fresh and new. So don't miss here that God is showing that even creation, our very world, can be manipulated and changed to show that God was at work here. The whole world was changing, and the whole world, all of creation, was responding. God doesn't change, but but the ways in which God works can. God is not bound by time or, or our understandings. Have we lost the wonder? Can we have a new imagination? And then we have the Magi. The Magi, they'd been watching. They'd been watching for a long time. Maybe not in the way that these chief priests had been watching and studying the scriptures, but but these, these people were paying attention. They noticed the shift in the stars. One thing as I was studying this week, uh, one of the folks I was listening to pointed out that, you know, when we do a nativity, we always have a really bright star that like, you know, we were, uh, me and the kids are watching the movie The Star that's on Netflix and like, it's like a beam, like a spotlight on the nativity. Um, But we're actually not told that. They just see a new star and they believe it's a sign of something miraculous coming. So it may have just been like a normal star, maybe a little brighter, but but these people had to be paying attention in order to see it. They were compelled, though, also to see what the star meant. They were paying attention, but then they were also curious, and they put that curiosity into action. They had enough wonder to see God outside of their current understandings. While they probably had power and comfort and resources from where they came from, this area that they were going to, they knew they would be suspect. That it would be, it would be different. They would be giving that up. They would be losing some of their comfort to travel in this entourage. But they did it anyway. They left what they knew because they were so compelled by God. So compelled that God could be moving in a new way. And they didn't want to miss out on it. They believed this was the sign of a miracle. They could have also given in to Herod and returned to him even after they had the vision telling them not to. They had an inroad now to an incredibly powerful king and they gave that up. These weren't people who had to bow down to many. And now they're bowing down in humility to a toddler. And when you stop and think about that, We should all wonder at this new movement of God. Are we paying attention to the ways that God is at work in the world beyond just our current relationships here? Are we watching the news with an open eyes and open heart? Are we getting involved in the community and seeing God work outside of traditional means? Are you having conversations that challenge you, that allow God to speak? Do we have enough wonder? Do we really believe that God could do something miraculous and crazy in this world? Are we open to a fresh movement of God? Mosaic prides itself on being non-traditional, but it, it doesn't take long for the ways we do things to be the right way. Even if they're not traditional, they become traditional for us. 
for our identity to be in what we've done in the past or how we've operated in the, in the past. This right here could be a season of wonder for the church. For asking questions, for seeing new ways that God wants to burst into what we're doing here and, and move into new ways. Lead us in new directions. What do you believe God could do through this community of faith? What do you believe God could do in Johnston County? Are you willing to give up power and comfort to be part of that? Are you willing to go looking in places that you haven't looked before? This is a tight-knit community, and that's, that's one of the things that I loved about this place and felt called to be a part of. But what would it look like for us to take our relationships to the next level? To really be dependent on one another. To know each other deeply. To challenge each other. To be in covenant together. What does it look like to bring others into the group? What kind of commitment are you willing to make to help this place to grow? What does it look like to allow God to work through our lives in, in the larger community outside, but also in this community here? But then I wonder, what about you? Do you have enough wonder to believe that God can do something amazing even if to the outside world it looks totally ordinary in your own life? Are you willing to step outside of your comfort zone? Are you willing to invite people into your lives to learn from them? To gain a bigger perspective of God in the world?